and open your Bibles, please, to Genesis 24. Genesis 24, we're in a series on Abraham and Sarah walking by faith. Genesis 24, verse 1, and this is the Word of God. Now, Abraham was old, well advanced in years. The Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, Put your hand under my thigh, that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and God of the earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. The servant said to him, Perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? Abraham said to him, See to it you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and who spoke to me and swore to me, to your offspring I will give this land, he will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. But if the woman's not willing to follow you, then you'll be free from this oath of mine. Only you must not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abram, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed, taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. And he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at the time of evening, the time when women go out to draw water. And he said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today. And show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I'm standing by the spring of water, and the daughters of men uh, of all of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I shall say, Please let down your jar that I may drink, who shall say, Drink, and I will water your camels, let her be the one whom you've appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. And join me, the grass withers, flowers fade, but the word of our God stand forever. Let's pray. Father, we're so glad that we have your word. Father, it's sure and it's certain. And so, Lord, we pray for your spirit's help this morning. Take what is here. Father, use it to guide the way we think. Father, the convictions we hold and the way we act day by day by day to show us, Lord, how we can know your will for our lives. And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. It's a question that comes into the life of a believer frequently. Uh, What is God's will for me? I mean, we wonder about it when we choose a career or uh, a college or we change jobs. We wonder about it when it comes to marriage. Uh, And before us in Genesis 24 is sort of a, a case study about finding the will of God for our lives. Uh, It's the story about uh, Abraham finding a bride for Isaac uh, here. It's the longest chapter in the book of Genesis. The flood of Noah comes and goes in shorter space than this chapter to find a a wife for Isaac. And it's a living illustration, very practical, of Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. So this morning, we want to gain some practical instruction about finding God's will for our lives because the principles 
that Abraham and his servant use here really apply to knowing God's will in all areas of our lives. And we'll look especially at the case at hand, finding God's will about whom you should marry, if indeed, we might add, marriage is God's will for you. Uh, keep in mind, the custom of this day was, was arranged marriages, but the principles are still the same. And along the way, pay particular attention uh, to Abraham and his servant both walking by faith, including faith in God's providence. So let's go to the text. So what's the starting point if we want to know the will of God? Uh, Well, first of all, we have to have the desire to please God. Verse 1, now Abraham was old, well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. Abraham is old here. In fact, he's older than anybody here. He's 140 years old. Uh, He's been a widower for three years. Uh, He knows God's been good to him. God gave him a wonderful wife. He's given him his son Isaac. He's blessed him with an immense amount of possessions and most of all, the promises of God. He could very well sing the the hymns we've already sung this morning, that God's shown him the way through the wilderness. He has 10,000 reasons to thank God. And he has the confidence that all the way his Savior will lead him. Uh, And and so his thoughts, though, now are are to the future. How God's going to carry out his covenant promises. The most obvious issue facing him is that Isaac's 40 years old, and he's got to have a wife. But in a day of arranged marriages, Abraham faces a dilemma. There's no suitable spouse, no wife, for Isaac to marry. He doesn't know where to find the one for Isaac. Abraham wants to please God. He wants to find the wife that God wants Isaac to have. And so notice his instruction to the servants. The servant in verse 2. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but will go to the country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. So who's the servant? We're told he's the oldest. We're told that uh, he, in fact, um, is the most trustworthy. He watches over everything Abraham has. We surmise that it's Eliezer, uh, whom at one time Abraham thought might be his heir. Uh, Whoever it is, it's an essential assignment. Isaac has to marry. And may I state the obvious? He has to marry a woman. All right, just clear that up. Isaac has to have a son. Uh, And what's at stake here is the very covenant God has made with Abraham. Without Isaac having a child, God cannot, will not carry out the covenant to one day send Jesus Christ down the cross for our sins. So let's be clear, Isaac getting married impacts our hope. No baby for Isaac means no Jesus being born, which means no salvation, which means we are forever lost in our sins. So we have a stake here. And Abraham knows it will not please God if if Isaac marries a Canaanite woman. He said, how do we know that? 
Remember back in Genesis 15, Abraham is told that his descendants will spend 400 years in another land away from the promised land before coming back to conquer it because God said the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. In other words, the Amorites, the Canaanites, are a people doomed for destruction. And God does not want his people intermarried with people who are doomed for destruction. So Abraham realizes Isaac's got a married relative. So he's going to send back to Haran to find a wife from his family. By the way, notice he doesn't turn to Lot here for such a bride. Lot's family has intermingled with the Canaanites, both in practice and in mindset. So we also see the importance of the oath he wants his servant to take, this ritual placed the hand under the thigh. And whatever exactly this is, it obviously is to affirm the solemnity of the whole thing, how significant it is. This whole thing comes up again later in Genesis with Jacob when he's dying. And what we need to see, that in a real sense, this is the key battle when it comes to knowing and doing the will of God. Our desire to please God by doing His will. To know God's will, we have to want to know it. You know, there are times when we probably prefer not to know God's will for one reason. We want to do our own thing. We want our own will. We want to be Lord of our own lives. So the Lordship of Jesus comes into play for us. We have to ask, who's the Lord of my life? Is it the Lord or is it me? I mean, suppose we're on a diet and we go in the kitchen and we see a, a delicious piece of cake and we know we should not eat it, but we eat it anyway. To be sure of that, we don't ask somebody, should we eat it? We don't want to hear about the cholesterol or the sugar or the fat or the calories. We just want to eat the cake. So we don't ask because our desire is to please ourselves. And if we ask somebody, they might tell us not to eat it. And sometimes that happens for people when it comes to choosing a spouse. We really want to choose who we want to choose. We want to please ourselves most of all. But if we want to know God's will for our choices and our lives, we begin with a desire to please God. Where does that desire come from to please God? Well, Psalm 37.4 puts it this way. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. So many times we look at it and we think, oh, if I delight myself in the Lord, I'm going to get what I'm desiring. Well, read that again. If you delight yourself in the Lord, He will give you the desires that you should have, not what you want. And then second, we've got to walk by faith. Or put it this way, we must believe God will and does show us His will. Verse 7, The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and who spoke to me and swore to me, to your offspring I will give this land, he will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. So these verses express Abraham's faith in God. His faith is based in who God is, what God has done for him, and what God promises to do for him. Abraham has clear faith in the providence of God. 
that God does direct the affairs of humanity. We define God's providence as God's most holy, wise, and powerful preserving and governing all his creatures, ordering them and all their actions to his own glory. So Abraham walks by faith in God, and he's trusting that God's providence will guide his servant. But friends, walking by faith is not just sitting back and waiting on the Holy Spirit to deliver his will to us like we're waiting on an Amazon delivery. All right? The servant Abraham cannot just say, well, God's providence, it's all going to just work out. No, they've got to take action. Passive faith says God's going to provide my lunch today. Active faith means I go get the things God's provided and I make my lunch. All right? Uh, Abraham and his servant are going to act in faith that God will provide a wife for Isaac from Abraham's extended family. Now, remember a college student who demonstrated the difference. She was a believer and was preparing for exam. So she prayed and asked God to help her. And then she said she went to bed. All right? Now, that's passive faith. Active faith is praying, asking God to help you, and then, hey, studying, all right, the material that you have. All right? Um, let me just give her the students there. P.S. She never graduated, just so you know, didn't, didn't work. So, so take the element of mystery away here. God's will for our lives is not some secret hidden agenda that God tries to hide from us. It's not some miserable task that God gives to us. God does not deliver it in code that we have to decipher or in some word jumble we've got to unscramble. He desires that we know what He, what he, we want, he wants us to do. God's not like the Riddler who plagues Batman by giving riddles he's got to figure out to solve the crime. All right? God wants to guide us clearly. And Abraham anticipates an angel will be leading his servant. And that's God's providence at work. Now today, uh, it's, it's the Holy Spirit. And it's God's word that direct us by God's providence. In a real sense, reading God's word is walking by faith. We cannot expect to know God's will for our lives, for marriage, or anything else if we're not spending time reading His Word. It is that simple. Let's compare it to finding a destination here in northeast Georgia. Let's say you wanted to go to the Chesity Wildlife Center, which we did a couple weeks ago. Now the question would be, we want to go there, what? How do you get there? All right. Now my old answer would be to get out a paper map. You might want to ask your parents what that is. Um, but you don't do that anymore, right? Why? There is an app for that in place of the map. So what did I do? A, that I leave my phone in airplane mode since we were traveling. B, that I put my phone on for music to entertain us while we were traveling. Or C, did I ask the app to tell us which way to go? You all must think I'm an idiot. Yeah, C, all right, C. I um, want A or B, okay? Um, uh, you know, I, I was going to have a tough time among guessing what Georgia back road to find the Chesty Wildlife Center on. But the app gave me the guidance I needed. 
The same way, without using God's Word, you see, it's impossible for God to guide us. All right? But when we use His Word, we're exercising faith, and we're believing He will show us His will for us. So if we have the desire to please God, if by faith we believe He will and does show us His will, the third step is a willingness to obey His will when we know it, when it's revealed to us. You know, if we're trying to find the unknown, we demonstrate uh, that we will obey by doing the known part, what we do know. And that's where the Bible is very clear on the issue of marriage. See, the servant asked Abraham a very logical question. The servant said in verse 5, Perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? All right, what if she's unwilling? When we can answer this is to say Abraham has the faith to know this is not a problem. But notice this response, verse 6 and verse 8. See to it that you do not take my son back there, but if the woman's not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine, only you must not take my son back there. All right, two things on Abraham's mind. First, the wife for Isaac has to come from his own relatives. And second, the woman must be willing to come to Canaan because Canaan is the land of promise. All right? So let's put this in the negative. All right? Uh, Isaac's not to marry a Canaanite or anyone who refuses to embrace the promise of God about the promised land of Canaan. All right? Uh, and so what those two have in common is, is they're both unbelievers. The Canaanite people are idol worshipers. Uh, and then the, the one who doesn't believe the promise is not a believer as well. Uh, so Isaac's not to marry anybody who's not a believer. All right? Uh, that's a principle Paul picks up on, 1 Corinthians 7. He's talking about marriage and remarriage for a, a widow particularly. And in verse 39, God's Word says, She is free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. What's that tell us about the Christian, about God's will in marriage? If it is God's will for us to marry, we must marry somebody who's a believer, and only somebody who's a believer. It is never, ever God's will for a Christian man or woman to marry an unbeliever. Across the years, I've known people who, who want to ignore this truth, They've told me, no, God's telling me to marry this person who's an unbeliever. And I can always say this, that's not true. It's never been true, and it will never be true, all right? You say, but wait, my mom married my dad and he was not a believer, and I was a believer. God bless them. My answer is, that's great, that's wonderful, that's fine. That's a great testimony of God's grace for a wife to lead her husband to Christ or a husband to lead his wife to Christ. Uh, I'm not saying God's ever going to abandon a person or that God cannot turn things around and use our sin uh, and our mistakes for His glory. 
I will say on the basis of God's word that it holds true. For a believer to marry an unbeliever is a defiant act of disobedience against the God of the universe. And in every instance where it's happened and it has a happy ending, again, that's wonderful, and I praise God for that. I can show you far more where the ending was not so happy. All right? Uh, and the wife has an extremely or the husband difficult time in their marriage. So I say to you young people, you, you put yourself at tremendous risk and you jeopardize your future happiness and spiritual well-being if you decide to ignore God's most basic instruction for marriage. I mean, what would you do? You're going out with a friend shopping and your friend tells you that uh, he or she intends to shoplift uh, a watch. Um, what would you do? What if your friend said, well, hey, I don't have a watch. And besides, have you noticed I'm always late for church? All right. So I, I think the Lord's telling me I ought to have a watch and I can be on time for church. Now, what would you say? Would that make it all right to shoplift the watch? Of course it wouldn't. Why? Well, the Bible forbids stealing. All right. Stealing's never all right with God. Even if that watch that you steal makes you be on time for church. All right? We always have to act within the parameters that God gives us. Where His Word speaks directly, there should be no question in our mind about what we ought to do. Uh, we should begin our search for God's, with God's Word for what the Bible says. In this case, we must marry a believer. And if we willingly obey the known guideline because we desire to please God, we can be assured of further guidance from God uh, when it comes to which believer we should marry. Friends, what God forbids, He always forbids. He doesn't ever single out somebody for an exception. Adultery is always wrong. Premarital sex is always wrong. Drunkenness is always wrong. Stealing is always wrong. Married an unbeliever is always wrong. And I would say to you young people, it's why it's important whom you date or go out with, even now. Because you never know what might come from that relationship. You need to learn and practice skills of discernment now, in dating and courting, that you will use in choosing a spouse. God wants you to be wise. Then fourth, uh, to know God's will, we must pray. Verse 12. And he said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I'm standing by the spring of water, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I shall say, Please let down your jar that I may drink. She shall say, Drink, and I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I will know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. Now, that's a rather specific prayer. Did you know? And I suspect the servant's been praying for God's guidance for quite a while, uh, all across that month traveling across the desert. I mean, he's got to convince a woman to leave her family and travel hundreds of miles to a land she's never been to to marry a man she's never met. All right? No small task here. And so, well, why did he pray this? Well, he knows she's got... Got to be a believer, but which believer? And then think about the responsibility of Isaac's wife. Well, she's going to be ancestor of Messiah. 
She's expected to practice hospitality and kindness to strangers. She and Isaac would be are to model the covenant relationship with God and draw other people to want to know the true God. And so he sort of sets up this test to find a wife with these qualities. Uh, when we're seeking God's will, we must pray and ask him to sh- show it to us and believe that he will. When it comes to marrying somebody, once we've eliminated all unbelievers, uh, then there's still a, a segment of people out there, and we need to ask God to give us direction. Let me say, parents, as I suggested last week, we should begin to be praying about this uh, from the time our children are born. Uh, what God's will is for marriage, if indeed it's his will for our children to marry. Pray for my sons, now I'm praying for my grandchildren, uh, that if God wants them to marry, that they'll marry according to God's will. I'm also praying for the five other people that I've never even met or don't know their names, the two boys and, and the three girls that they will indeed marry. So what do we pray? Well, I confess, I don't pray about their camel watering ability. All right, never have. Uh, prayed about whether or not they're able to water camels. Um, but I pray what I pray for my grandchildren, that they'll know and love Jesus, that their lives will be marked by the demonstration of the fruit of the Spirit, and that God will keep them morally pure so they can enjoy all the best that God has for them. And so we keep on praying. Let me just pause and say, we, we need to be praying for all our students that start back to school, uh, whether in public school or private school, Christian school, uh, home school. Uh, they and their teachers and administrators, staff, they all need our prayers, so, so be praying. So what about us? I'm going to leave you with a cliffhanger here. What happens to this prayer? We'll talk about the verses we skipped this morning as well as the rest of the chapter next week. And we'll see how God answers the servants in Abraham's prayer. But today, be sure we understand why this is important. Our salvation depends on Isaac getting married and having a son. In the meantime, we need to learn from 140-year-old Abraham that walking by faith is a lifelong task. It goes on and on and on. Walking by faith means we desire Know, obey, and pray for God's will. It's trusting God for all the promises of God. So we've got to ask ourselves, do I really desire God's will most of all? And if not, why not? All right? Uh, And we need to confess that. Probably might not. Do I have faith that God will act through his good providence? Do I trust his providence? Have I resolved that I will obey God's will? And have I committed to pray for God's will? If we have, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 will be at work. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. And he will make straight your path. Let me say, if you're here and you're not a believer, this guidance in a chaotic world is what God gives his children. If you would like to know how you can have such guidance be his child, uh, see me after the service. Because see, the promise of the hymn we're about to sing can be your promise too. The promise is this, he leadeth
Let's pray. Father, we're grateful to you that you do guide us. That, Father, you have a plan for us that's the best plan for us. So, Father, our prayer for each of us here is that we know your will, how you want us to live, the decisions you want us to make, Lord, whether it's about a career or, uh, Father, a college or, or um, whom we're going to marry, uh, Father, about how you would have us to serve you in the body of Christ, Lord, just so many choices before us. Guide us, we pray. Father, give us assurance. We thank you that you did provide an answer uh, to Abraham and the servant, and that you did send Jesus Christ. Father, is anybody here that doesn't have the hope and the guidance that they want in this chaotic world? Father, show them your son Jesus today, we pray. And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.